This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, hi everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the um, questions before drinking with authors. No, just kidding. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Co-hosting with me tonight is C.R. Rice. Yay. And our amazing yeah. guest today, who is on both video and voice, is Julie Valerie. Thank you for being here. Uh, okay. It's my great pleasure. Video and voice. How are you? Yes. Well, you look fabulous and your books are propped behind you, so it's awesome. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking. I am drinking, um, I found this actually in North Carolina. It's called Hibiscus Lime Tart Ale. That's a beautiful can. It is. Jury's still out on whether or not this is a good beer, but I have it and I'm drinking it. I was about to say, is it like drinking a flower? Mm. Like drinking a fragrance? Yeah, it does definitely feel like I'm drinking a fragrance (laughs) of some kind. Again, jury's out. It's not terrible, but I can't decide if I like it. Sierra, yeah, what are I'm you done. drinking? I am doing Powerade and vodka because I'm supposed to have an early morning. So I'm pre-planning while drinking. That's awesome. I like it. Smart, smart. Julie, what are you drinking? Yeah. I am drinking a Pinot Noir from Santa Cruz County in California. Um, it's part of a, I'm studying. <laughs> I'm not just drinking, I'm studying. But um, so yeah, Pinot Noir from from California. You know I'm what you could say do I'm studying as well. So. Studying the beer. Absolutely. Look, mm-hmm. somebody, yeah, somebody's got to do it. You could lob off the top to that can and like pour melted wax in it. And that would just be super cute, like next to a kitchen counter on a windowsill. It's yeah, a really it is such can. a super cute can. It's actually pretty good. It's just I got it. Okay, I bought it because of the can. <laughs> and my yeah. boyfriend was like, hibiscus lime. Like, I'm putting it in the cart, and he's, I there's judgment eyes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. And I'm like, I didn't read the label. It's fine. So, <laughs> I think Corey has tried that one, because he does that sometimes. Like, he'll go, and he'll find the weirdest flavor you could possibly put together. So I'll have to ask him, because he's had some where he will just, like, He'll take a drink and he'll look at me. He's like, I'm pretty sure I just drank like perfume or something, but there's something <laughs> I kind of like about it. <laughs> like, well, you got to let me know because I have one more can left up in the fridge and I can give it to him next time I'm down there. It's like, oh, <laughs> you should try this. He won't know. Absolutely. Okay, you can tell if it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Do anyway. you study, you're, are you studying to become, wait, did it, is sommelier, is that right? Is Technically, no, but yes. Um, So technically, sommeliers would work in a restaurant. Um, So Hmm. they're more service oriented. So they would develop like um, wine lists uh, for restaurants and things like that. And they're more in the service restaurant industry. I'm studying and they would go through the court of sommeliers for their credentials. I'm with Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And so that's more wine educators or wine journalists. I think I want to lean into some travel writing. Um, in the coming years, then I might lean into wines and vineyards and things as kind of a sub part of potential wine writing, um, some journalism for the future, possibly. But for the most part, I just have always loved the beverage. Um, and I come by the studying, honestly, not for like trying to get a professional credential or um, 
knowing how to order it better at a restaurant. It's none of that. I, you know, I've enjoyed all kinds of wines, a two buck chuck and a solo cup, all of it, love it all. But I just kind of am interested in the, in how it grows more like the farming aspect, the vineyard aspect. I think it's just fascinating beverage. Um, I love the history of it. I love how it traveled the world. I love it from a geography standpoint, you know, drinking a Pinot from Burgundy in France, and then you can taste different Pinots in like Oregon, and there's different grapes that thrive at different places in the world. So it gives, um, there's a lot of conversation that can come from just one single glass. Um, my husband and I, we've got four kids. We don't go out much, especially with the four kids. And so our way of getting, you know, partying on a Saturday is a nice bottle of wine watching Netflix. And so it kind of became our thing. And so no, that's, that's awesome. I actually used to not be a wine drinker. And yeah. then I, uh, 15 years ago, maybe now 10, 15. Anyway, I started and I started on reds, like, yep. but I, um, am no good at, at remembering any parts. Like I've had people try to explain it to me and I'm, I am never going to be that person. I'm going to be the person that looks at the bottle and be like, this is a cool label. We should yes. try it. Yes. And then I just keep labels in my phone of the ones yeah. I like and don't like. And just right. <laughs> That's it. There's so much good wine. You really don't need to know anything. I mean, there, there's so, there's so much. And if you figure out what you like, if you like the cabs versus the Pinots, you know, just stick with that. Great. And then if you want to just kind of travel around the world and try it from different regions or just stick with your comfort. I think most people, in fact, business statistics show that most people find the grape that they like and there's their few suppliers and they kind of stick to it. It's actually really hard to get um, drinkers to veer off of their favorite grapes and to try obscure, funky artisanal things, which I think is a shame because there's a lot of really creative producers out there making beautiful bottles of just amazing um, liquid. And it's just fun. You know, it's the strangest thing to study for because if you're studying and tasting, because you're like studying a chapter, you're learning about a particular grape, so you're sampling it to try to figure it out. It's kind of really counterintuitive because if you drink enough of it, you're not going to remember anything that you studied. You know, it's I like a strange. Say, that would be me. Almost, that would yeah, be me, like Chelsea. Yeah, we yeah. could totally do that. We could totally study wine, Erica. I mean, I have a wine club. I've never drank any of it. I have like five boxes of wine in the garage. We've never even tried. We'll do a whole yeah. meeting. Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, wine. Wine. we're gonna study wine. That's study. Just end up with both of us really drunk. And I know. <laughs> so here's what I want to know: If I start writing about wine, or if I even put out one article, can all of my wine be a tax write-off? Can I like, you know, can it be a business expense? I don't know. I, would I don't think know. So. It occurred, occurred to me like, how can I work this? Thing. Tax professionals, feel free to comment on this episode if we right. can write off. I, you know, I I may or may not write off the liquor that I drink for this show. Yeah, I mean, you I was might about to say, hard. can I write off the liquor I drink for this show? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You know what? If we get audited, we can just say we were drunk at the time, so we don't know what we did on the tax return. So we were, you know, yeah. So it's, I like it's it. all fun. <laughs> no, it's. It's funny. Somebody actually asked me that. They're like, do you get to write off the booze? And I'm like, I actually, luckily, in a way, people give me, well, uh, this is going to make me sound even worse. People give me <laughs> alcohol and drinks all the time because they're like, oh, you do a podcast. Let me just get yeah. a booze, right? And yeah. um, it's funny, though, because I was like, I wonder if I go to my very straight-laced accountant and I'm like, do you remember that podcast I do? 
here's a box of receipts and bar tabs and napkins from me drinking from my podcast. Yeah. He'd probably find a way to make it work though. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, I think you've got something me studying. I'm not sure. I mean, perhaps if it leads to a business credential or I use it in business, which I'm not yet, but you, I think you've got a clear narrative for this is my podcast It's called drinking with authors. If you want to audit me, look, we're doing it. And this is it. And I think you should go. Here are some extra Erica. You might be on was involved and you can see that we were drinking. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the receipt. Here's the podcast. Here's the link. And just watch yeah. the actions in the podcast and you'll realize we really were drinking. This isn't a we really were. Yeah. And if the IRS agent is so uptight to audit your can of hibiscus beer, then, you know, maybe he should have that second one you mentioned in the refrigerator. And yes. No. After, well, it's a third one. I have my next run. Okay. We're not done with the podcast. Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about your writing though. God, we get sidetracked on this show, which I enjoy. So you have put out two books. Well, wait, you have a second one coming out in November, right? No, no it, it did come out. out this past November. Yeah, they're right behind me because this is um, last night I did a book club and it was the first time I ever had a book cover in the background of a video. And and I keep getting friends of mine are like, you need to like put your book somewhere behind you in the room. And I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't seem very natural. So last night at the last minute, I stuck that up. So that's left over from a book club. I don't even know if you can see them. And oh, no, we can. can. Yeah, you can. Oh, you can. No, you okay. totally can. I didn't know if the light like blurred. I don't know how to like, it doesn't come naturally to me, but there they are. Um, and I also did my first ever um, book festival in Williamsburg. And so that's right out of the bag too. So I had to decorate my first table and like sit there all day and talk to people. And I got, I, you know, I got my own square. So I learned how to like take credit cards and stuff like that. So that this week has been a really busy week, but it's gotten me up and doing things because those books came out during COVID. So there hasn't been any events like in lot, you know, no, nothing to do with actual people until the book festival was the first time I ever did a public anything. Um, And so it was really kind of strange, but yeah. So there's topiaries in the background here. They came right out of the bag, that one and that one and that one um, from the book festival on, when was the book festival, Saturday or Sunday? But anyways, there's topiaries in the book. And so stupid oh my gosh i brought a bunch of them to the, the book fair and i had the table and i had some books and i had these topiaries all around i swear i look more like a florist than a than an author and so i don't know if i overdid it but um i had anxiety about filling up an eight foot long table or a six foot table i was like it's just me how am i gonna fill up that much space and so i kind of filled it with a lot of I know people who didn't know that topiaries were part of the storyline were probably just like, what's with the, like, that's overkill. Why have like, why not just have one? (laughs) Why why have multiple of the same thing at your table? You're weird. But you should make little cards next time and stick them in the topiaries and just say, this makes sense. Read the book. There you go. Stick it on all of them. There you go. That's a great idea. Actually, that's a great idea. No, I had her first convention this last Saturday too. Yay. Tell me about it. Where was it? It was in Orlando. It was called Phantasm. It was super fun. Met some pretty cool people. And I actually did my first couple panels, which was just nerve wracking. But we had like I had some of the four horsemen people there. So like it was really great. And then my husband came and was super awkward in the front row. So that was super fun. And if you knew my husband, you would understand why that isn't just normal. Like, oh, my husband was in the front row. No. 
Yeah. It's I, yeah. I should have actually told him not to go to the panels and I didn't <laughs> yeah. think about it, but he was allowed into the panels and Oh, uh, that yeah. would that would I would I would rather talk to two thousand strangers than three people I knew well. I would just I don't know I don't ugh, especially like a husband or like a sibling sister or something. Oh gosh, yeah. No, yeah. he's super fun, but he's so dramatic. He likes to over dramatize things and so. But it was it was really helpful, so it was fun. But it's really cool, like going to your first one. You learn from the yeah. first one, so now like even for your next one, my next one, like you just yeah. you kind of pick it up and you go from there. Yeah, you know, it was a good mental exercise. Like the night before I had my phone out and I was kind of like making a list of like, what, what do I need? Because for me, I had a drive. I live in Richmond, Virginia. So I was driving an hour to get to Williamsburg. So there was no like calling somebody saying, I forgot the square device. I can't do any transactions. Will you run it up to me? I had to make sure I had everything in Williamsburg. So the night before I was like, okay, what do I need? You know, like I probably... You know, I need business cards. I need the books themselves. I need to figure out how the square thing works. I need to have an extension cord because I was thinking, what if I run out of power on the either my phone or the square and where am I? So do I need a tablecloth? Like strange things like that. Um, and I brought a little pad of yellow post-it notes, which was really helpful because um, that way if they bought the book and they wanted me to sign it to their name, they could write their name on the post-it note. Because I was also thinking like when I was signing it, I was, it wasn't just signing my name. I was writing a little something. I kept thinking to myself, don't screw up. Like the pressure of like, oh my gosh, somebody's standing there. And now I'm like signing it. I was afraid it's going to misspell something or screw up the book and have to give them another one. Cause I like screwed up my handwriting. I'm like, I can't scribble anything out. So there's a lot of dumb stuff where I was just like, what am I doing? But anyways, I made the list and I saved it. And then when I was actually there, there's a couple things I thought of that I wish I had. And so I added it to the list. When I get everything home, I'm kind of staying packed because next month I'm going to do the Hanover Book Festival. And hopefully I won't have to worry the night before. What do I need to do and what do I need to bring? Do I need a dolly? Do I need, you know, all this stuff? I can just pick up the bags that, you know, I'll take that stuff, stick it back in, and then out the door I go. So hopefully it'll be easier. But I liked the fact that the world is, well, the world is half. Is it opening up or is it shutting down? I don't know. But it was a nice exercise in getting out and actually talking with other authors and talking with readers, you know, in the flesh, like they were there in, in the room, which was awesome. Except I don't know about you, but I was unmasked for the entire time. So it was sometimes yeah. it was well. hard. <laughs> Okay, sorta. We well, were. Well, she was we supposed to be in a mask the entire time. She didn't okay. always adhere to that rule. You're lucky because I eight hours <laughs> of it. We were across the tables. We were trying to shout. There was a loud room. There's lots of people. So it was like one of those situations where I would, you know, I'm muffled, but I'm like, "Hi, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Wait, what?" And everybody's having to kind of repeat a little bit. Yeah. And um, that was strange. Uh, that aspect was a little strange. Um, well, I will fine. give you one piece of advice. Well, two. One, always bring water. And two, yes. bring a battery pack. Like you can get, get them on Amazon. They're like 30 bucks that will charge for eight hours or bring a couple Smart. of them. Because so a lot of conventions, there's no extension cord. There's no yep. any yeah. of that. And if you need yeah. Wi-Fi for some reason, get a hotspot. See, that's great. Yeah. That's I, I hadn't thought of that. I brought the extension cord because I wasn't worried about losing power. We go camping a lot. My husband's a mountain biker. I like to hike the Appalachian Trail. And so when we hike with or when we camp with kids, we've done a lot of car camping, depending on who we're with. Otherwise, just camping out in the wild. But when we car camp, um, we can we have this like 
uh, battery box and it's like kind of heavy, but it will charge up pretty much everything you've got for like the whole weekend before it loses out of battery, loses battery. And I almost brought that, but I wasn't sure if that was going to be too much and it was heavy and with everything else. But, um, you know, it was neat to see other people and what they did and what they did on their tables and how they approached it. And it was really interesting to see all of the different um, projects and books. Somebody wrote a story about a dog, a children's book about her dog. She brought the dog, which was awesome. So yeah, um, yeah, it was neat. It was really, really neat. I was grateful for the experience for sure. My sister surprised me. She drove an hour. And so I'm there and it's about two hours to it all being finished. And all of a sudden I look over, I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh my gosh, that's so nice. I couldn't believe it. But I was like, oh, you drove an hour to like come to this. That was so sweet. Um, so that was a really nice. And then we went out afterwards and had, you know, hour and a half to ourselves away from the family and the madness in Richmond. It was a really good experience. You know, one of the weird things I didn't realize is authors should have business cards. Um, business cards. I don't yeah, know how I, many people ask me. They're like, where's your business card? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I have told yeah. you this several <laughs> times. But yeah. I just, I, I don't even know. It was one of those things where like, I remembered it, but like, it didn't quite register. And then when they started right. asking, I was like, holy crap. Like Erica definitely told me that. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm making a note right now to send you your business <laughs> card things again so you can actually order them. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got a newsletter, sign up sheet, all of that stuff. Got the clipboard yeah. and had a handout, you know, did all, so, the, did all the things. Tell us about your writing. So you did two books during the pandemic. Is this your first stab at writing? No, well, no, I've been writing for a really long time, but um, I went the traditional route. So it was a little bit slower of a path, you know, querying agents took a while. Then when I signed with an agent and then submitting to publishers and then um, it's it, from the time that the book was acquired to the first book was acquired to when it actually released. So it was a little bit longer, a longer tail in terms of before it got onto the shelf. Um, but no, I've been writing for a long time. And I think probably most writers have the same story. I have a horrible manuscript that should not see the light of day, but I often refer to it as my um, MFA in creative writing because I needed to learn learn the craft and I learned it through trying to build that particular book. I rewrote the first chapter a million times. I rewrote the first paragraph a million times. First sentence, like on and on and on. And so I, I learned all, not just how to write, but I also learned about kind of the process. You know, I was procrastinating, then I'm watching TV and then I'm mad at myself for not writing because that's what I really, all I've ever want to do. And that's my whole dream. And why am I not doing it? And then I'm doing it. And then, you know, like, so all of the becoming part of becoming a writer, getting disciplined, figuring out what your systems are, what works, what doesn't, not just on the page, but in terms of just me, you know, I've, I went through the whole, I would go to a writing shop and I would sample different pens because I was like, which one feels the best? Do I want to write some of it in a journal? Do I want to just type it out? Like all of that. Oh, I mean, all of it. And then finally I was like, I, it wasn't going anywhere and the story wasn't good. And it was so, it was good in spots. It was horrible in other spots. It would have taken a lot of rewriting. And it just became this thing that was no longer good and positive and productive. And it was almost like a, this weight 
on my shoulders. Like I've been working out for so long. How come it's not finished? And I foolishly told a few people that I was working on a novel. So then when they would see me, it was, when is it finished? Are you published? Is it this? And all the pressure and all the anxiety and everything else. And then finally, my husband was like, stop working on that. Maybe you're not supposed to finish that book. It's okay. It's fine. Like you, maybe you're not supposed to see it through. I resisted that, that idea because I was like, I have spent years of my life. Like I have, when I trace the beginning of that story to like how old I was at the time and how many years passed and oh my gosh, I kind of wasn't ready to let it go because I felt like, well, that's going to suck. I'll be at, you know, at zero again. But at that time I was also writing these emails and I was a room parent in one of my kids' um, classrooms. And when I'd have to send an email about whatever, send this in for the Valentine party or something, I, it was kind of an outlet with the writing. And I think mostly when you're getting an email or when you're getting an, uh, an email from a room parent or something, they're pretty straightforward. They're just kind of like, this has to happen and sign up here or whatever. Um, but I was enjoying the writing and some of them not just the room parent one, but there was another set of emails within my friend group, stories about like something my son had done or something that my kids had done that kind of went viral. And, and I was enjoying it. And my husband said, you should write that. Whatever you're doing in your email, that's when you're typing those, you're smiling and you feel good and you're enjoying it and people are responding to it. And it's almost like somebody pointing out what naturally felt good to the writer and the audience that showed up for it. Um, no matter how small the audience was, when I talk about it going viral within a friend group, I'm not talking about a sizable number of people at all, but I, they really enjoyed it. And they asked, can I share this with a friend, et cetera, and so on. And there's kind of these little, not really short stories because they didn't fit the, the constructs of what you think of as a short story. It was an email, like legit, but emails and text messages. And um, there's a lot of different ways that people are telling stories these days. And so a lot of them kind of stood on their own. So then it became the question, well, how, how am I supposed to write a novel out of an email? What, like, what, am I supposed to collect the emails and put them in a short story collection? I'm pretty sure that's like, not going to, that's not going to take that. That's not going to work or whatever. So for the longest time, I was kind of just thinking through what he said. And initially, again, I had to process through the, there's no way I'm going to let go of a manuscript. I've spent that much time in my life trying to make it work. I can't let go of that story. I was I was convinced that the characters wanted me to tell their story and that if I abandoned them, that I that I abandoned the story, I was leaving them with no voice and I was it was just strange. And then I couldn't figure out how in the world I could grow an email into a full novel. But after sitting on it and trying a couple of things, eventually it grew into writing that is um now it's this whole series. It's the Village of Prim series. And I sat down and I ended up developing like 10 different um, story, 10 different novels. Only two are out. I haven't written all of them yet, but there's all these people. This, this village is crazy alive in my mind to all these people and they have backstories and they're connected. I've got, I don't know if it's called like a murder board, like in like when you watch um, movies, they're trying to solve a murder and they have these pictures and they're drawing all these lines or they have like strings that connect all of the lines and everything else. And so I've got all the people developed and who's connected to who and everything else. And I've never had so much fun in my life and I've never like felt like at a soul level so excited about something. And it basically is a whole different voice. The style of writing of what I ended up doing versus what I was trying to do 
was way more authentic, way more natural to what I wanted to say. And it found its audience. What I was trying to do over there was be possibly be someone that I wasn't. I might've been just young enough to try to write something amazing and literary. And there was, it was, I was trying so hard. You could almost feel it in the pages of the book that needed to just go away. And then one day I burned it in the fire pit, not too long ago, the entire manuscript, the box of papers, um, from that book, all of the times that had been critiqued by, you know, a, a critique group and the feedback that they gave me and what worked and what didn't. And so it, it represented years of my life and a lot of hard work. And when I burned it, it wasn't like a dramatic, like, you know, and then I burned the manuscript. It was mostly that the scanner, I keep pointing down to it, the shredder in my office, only it said, it takes five sheets at a time, which it so does not because five pages and it gets jammed. It's more like one or two at a time. And it was just going to take too long to go through that whole box that I was like the fastest way for me to destroy this so that nobody can read this hell of a story like that's horrible writing. I was afraid I was something was going to happen to me. People would find it and then read it and be like, oh, my gosh, she, she tried so hard. But, you know, this isn't any good. So I just wanted to get rid of it for some reason. It felt cathartic. But um, I figured the fastest way to do it would be to burn it. And the craziest thing, I told this story last night in the book club, the craziest thing was, I think it was the black ink on the white paper blending together while being consumed by fire, that it kind of turned everything gray. And then the way that the paper burned, because I was like putting eight and a half by 11s on top of eight and a half. And sometimes it was a full stack, like I'd grab a stack and put it on top. So the center part of the paper wasn't burning right away it was the fire was consuming it from the outside in probably because the edge the outer edges of the paper because it was the outer edges probably is where the oxygen was so that's where the fire could go so it kind of burned from the out outside in and the pages would curl so i'm looking at this thing go into this beautiful pale gray and then all of the outer edges started to curl and it ended up getting circular in the circular fire pit. It looked like a massive rose. It looked like a flower this big around, this big round gray, and it just curled. And then as the layers would curl, it was like countless sheets of paper all through the whole thing, just curling, curling, curling. I wish I had taken a picture of it. It was so gorgeous. Um, and then the flakes, eventually like it got to burn down so much that the flakes became really lightweight. And so they would kind of dance up along with, I guess, whatever fire, fire has like imaginary, what fumes or something, but the little flakes would be all around. There was so much paper. I kind of made a mess in that part of our backyard in terms of like the flake. And then it almost felt like there, it was snowing this like gray flakes of this manuscript. I spent probably a decade working on. It was a crazy experience. Wow. Well, it does sound like a crazy experience and you should have taken a picture. That would have been pretty badass. I know, I know. What to do when you have a crappy novel? Because most of Burn us it. have them saved on hard drives and stuff. So they will be brought out if we die. As people they will come them. out. Yes. Yeah. But we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. <laughs> oh, we're back. 
we we heard the story of the the manuscript rose um let's talk about your traditional so why did you choose to go traditional versus going self or hybrid or something like that I don't think I have a really good answer. I should probably figure it out. But honestly, um, knowing myself, the fact that it took me so long to write the first book that ended up being burned, and then it took me a while to write this. And then once I developed the whole series, uh, probably I knew myself and that if I went, all the things I'd have to also learn if I did it independently would probably add months, if not years to the process because of my own process. I would probably not just learn how to you know, upload to Amazon, but it would take, I would drill down and I would study and I would go deep and I'd have to think about it and then take notes and figure it out. And there's just so much that has to be done that I feel like I, I sensed that I, I don't know if I would have thrived having to do all of it at the beginning, like the first book ever. For me, I was just grateful to have finished it. Um, and then I also feared the fear of the unknown and that I wouldn't be good at that aspect of the business, that I would make the wrong decision you know it's like how do i find a book cover designer you know like what how do i know what if i make the wrong decision so it was probably crippling fear also probably an awareness of myself and my process and my my tendency to get super analytical um i not just love i don't just love writing but i also love editing so like i can nerd out on commas and punctuation and stuff so i probably would have I probably would have done it the wrong way. And I, I kind of thought, well, let me just toss it out there, send it out to some agents and just see what the feedback is. There's real possibility that it wasn't going to take anyway, that nobody was going to sign up for it. Um, it definitely wasn't, you know, the thriller has been a big um, genre, you know, so I, I just was like, it's a weird, quirky book. The first book in particular, it's, it's a, don't read it if you don't like if you don't like humor books because I studied the um, I studied humor writing pretty in in depth and actually mapped out all the literary devices used to put different types of humor on the page from satire to um, slapstick to wordplay to jokes to physical comedy to the archetypes of clowns although there's no clowns but that's part of humor writing or whatever to the the subtext to the dump to the language and to the rhythm that has to be in place for the humor writing etc and so on so like I said as you can imagine I can't just drink a glass of wine no I've got to like figure it out and blah 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 so I probably just wasn't the right it, I I would have sucked at it I want to at some point um I would love that I've think that I would like, I want to be able to have a writing life for, you know, many, many decades. And I would like to, you know, learn that or figure it out. But I think when I started to realize all that I had to figure out, I just wasn't strong enough. I wasn't um, confident enough. I wasn't, um, I was afraid that it was going to take me even longer. It was easier in some respects to just put, although it took me forever to figure out how to write a query letter, but I just thought I'm going to try to query letter, send out some emails. And then my plan was at a certain period of time, if that didn't, if nothing came of that, then I would, as I think a lot of people do go and try to shepherd it into, into the, into the marketplace. The best thing in the world is that there's more than one path to publishing. Thank goodness. There's more than one path to publishing. I think one of the best things that ever happened to writers happened in 2009 when Amazon came out with a Kindle and they had a device and they needed content for the device and they opened up the doors and they said, welcome, come on in. There are great talented people out there with phenomenal stories, but not everybody goes through the query and the gatekeepers and stuff. When I think about the 
history of like humans and writers, think of all the really talented people from 10, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Think about women. They weren't able to write a lot of the best quotes that are attributed to anonymous. It was most likely a woman, but she couldn't publish under her name as a female. So like you think of all the gatekeepers through time that kept humanity from some really great stories. It's kind of disgusting if you think about it. So I like am so grateful that the that the gates have been lowered or that that there's more accessibility because i think what's come from it is some of the most phenomenal stories of our time a lot of them originated by a, a writer that chose an independent path and didn't go through the gatekeepers but anyways for me i was chicken shit a little bit and i also the person that i paired with as my literary agent she's wise and she's smart and i feel at ease and i feel guided by her and we have a good relationship um She's been at it for a, for a while and she I, I learned from her and I love the editor that I ended up with and I learned from her. And so I kind of just, for me, where I am right now in my writing, needed them um, and am grateful for them. I don't know if that's a good response, but that's just kind of my speaking purely from my heart. I didn't no, have it's, it's good. It, that There's was no the whole writer journey answer. response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the whole journey. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's like, I don't know why I didn't do it. I, I should probably like sit for a little while somewhere and be like, what is, why didn't I do it? Because I think maybe it seems too simple to say, I didn't think I could. I didn't think I, I didn't have enough confidence because I have so much incredible respect for all that has to be learned to then get the book into the marketplace. Readers don't realize it. All the difficulty of writing it and then editing it, but then packaging it and then manifesting into a product and getting it onto the shelves, distribution, marketing, promotion, all of it, sales. I mean, I just recently got the Square device because I had to do the, the book festival thing in Williamsburg. And even just that, I was like, okay, like, don't do this wrong. You know, like, don't like run out of batteries. Like there's so much that has to, that goes into bringing a book to um, the shelf. And it's been a really great experience watching it, um, watching it happen from the safety of not having to do it myself. No, that uh, makes sense. Myself. No, that totally makes perfect sense. We always ask why you why you go on the journey. So we did some cyber stalking of you as we do with all of our guests. Uh-oh. You uh -oh. have quite a few reviews on Goodreads. I haven't been there lately. I don't know how many I have there. That's a that's not a so the first book came out and was a first reads title for Amazon back in November. And it was a wonderful experience and I'm incredibly grateful for it. But the prompt, the first reads, they're um, a selection of like eight books that, so I'm the book, I'm published under an imprint of Amazon, um, Lake Union imprint, which is book club fiction. And I was so grateful to have been given the opportunity to be a first reads title. Um, but what that meant was 30 days leading up to the pub date of the first book, the book was available for free for, for prime members or for $1.99 if you weren't a Prime member, if I'm remembering it correctly. That particular month in November, there was a lot of really super serious books. And then there was this purple book with this woman coming undone on the cover um, in terms of like how the book has been branded. And I think during that month, it fell into the hands of a lot of people that probably wasn't their target market. They probably just weren't meant to read the book, but it was free and they downloaded it. And if it wasn't a match, they said so. And so it was a rough 30 days, but then you know, we passed that 30 day window and now it's being, now it's reaching its target market, which is really great. So um, yeah, this just passed 3000 reviews. Um, the, the, uh, the second book, the blue book um, has, hasn't been out as, as long as the first one, they came out about a year apart. 
So that's just um, starting to whatever. But I haven't been on Goodreads in a while. Um, just to kind of, I just haven't been out there. So I haven't seen, so I, you'll have to tell me what was there. It's been about a year since I've been on Goodreads. Well, the, the question um, I have for you is what was that like then? Because that's a lot of reviews. You have a lot, but uh, we could see that you had a lot of people that this probably wasn't their book. And I kind of wondered how they got their hands on the book, but now that explains it. Yeah, here's how they got their hands on their book. If you're being published by an imprint of Amazon, Amazon is just this tiny little company that nobody's ever heard of. Um, they don't have much of an audience. I'm joking. It's a very, Amazon is Amazon. And I was an imprint of Amazon and there's a lot of prime readers. And to be a first reads title, it's probably the single biggest marketing lever in publishing history in terms of just size of reach when they're going to every single month put eight titles in front of their audience of prime readers we're talking millions and so typically what a lot of prime readers do is oh it's the first of the month let me pop over let me see what the books are and i'll pick one out of the batch um and so, you know, the, the nice thing is that it's usually a really nice portfolio. There's usually historical fiction and contemporary fiction. And then there's a thriller. There's even a children's book title, but there's only eight. Um, and so if you're over there, you're kind of like picking among the eight, not so much picking from your favorite genre, your favorite type of book or picking the book. You're kind of picking one of eight and they're free. Um, and then I think what's kind of happened with the book reads culture, there's people do it every single month. And so they're used to it as kind of what they do in their reading life. And then there's a whole culture of people that weigh in really quickly. I mean, I know I was told by other people that have experienced it. Don't worry. Some of the first reviews will come in within an hour of it going live. That is impossible that anybody could read the entire book within an hour, but the reviews will come in starting and, um, you know, just brace yourself. And so mm -hmm. it was just a factor of big, if you wrote, if you've cooked up a spicy taco and somebody gave your free spicy taco to everyone in the village, not everybody's going to like tacos. Not everybody's going to like spicy foods. And so when you get a, a marketing lever that big, there's going to be mixed reviews simply because there's so many people exposed to it for, for zero. I almost would love for like, I don't know, but I don't know if this is, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was fine. It was what it was. It was November. It was you can say whatever you want. We're drinking. Yeah. You I have an part of me, yeah. Part of me, like I it's just, I say this overall for writers everywhere. Um, you know, people can be mean, the, the, just the culture of the internet with trolls and you just, if you're on Facebook and you're talking about, muffins chocolate chip muffins or something you'd be surprised at what people say in a comment section which is completely unnecessary i kept thinking about the person that like mortgage their home because they've got great family recipes so they open up a restaurant and on their opening night somebody comes in because the soup was brought to the table and it wasn't warm. Some asshole picked up his phone and went on yelp and and complained about the fact that the soup wasn't warm and it's like you like why 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 be mean? Mean people suck. Um, and not every book is for everybody. And this particular book um, is for it has reached a really cool fan base. This is like um, Parks and Rec on the page. This is like The Office. This is like Modern Family. It is a, a humorous book, and some people don't read. Some people don't find humor is subjective. Not everybody laughs at the same thing. So when you write a humor book, you're asking for a certain amount of the. Re you're asking the reader to subjectively have the same, find the same things funny, and not everybody does, or somebody might not get it. 
It's also easier to laugh when the joke is delivered by a stand-up stand -up comic or on the screen. But when you're reading it, when you read the book, it's your voice talking to your brain. So for the person that's just not naturally funny or doesn't really gravitate to funny books, the delivery is lost because it's their own voice reading it and then their brain is hearing it. And so, you know, it's just a little, it's, a, it's really challenging to write humor on the page versus performance type of humor. Um, and also I turned up the volume on some of the situations in that first book on purpose. I used satire and not everybody responds to satire. So with satire, I was um, exploiting certain situations and turning certain characters, turning the volume up on certain characters. And for the target market that was meant for this book, they freaking love that because I think it's giving voice to a lot of things that are frustrating for a lot of people. But if you're not the target market, it, it just wasn't a book. Okay. It's truly okay. I read a one-star review for the diary of Anne Frank. The person said that, that she came off as an angsty teenager. I'm like, you think, you think like, what's your problem? You didn't like how the book ended. Like, that's crazy. People give one stars to the Bible. Like it happens. It's just not, not every book is for everybody, but that doesn't, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't, I, I do wish the world was a little bit kinder um, because I think readers think that authors don't read their reviews. We are human. These, of course, I would care about what's happening to two books that were really important to me. I just stopped going to good, good reads simply because I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do over there. Um, in terms of like, um, I don't know, I just kind of, there's so many other social media platforms and somebody once said, find one or two that you do well and that you enjoy and just go there. You can't be everywhere at all times. You're know, like, if you're going to be on Goodreads, should you also be on library things? Should you also be on, you know, six percent or eight or the other social media, um, you know, software that is, you know, curating books and stuff. And I just kind of, I wasn't really that active on it before the book. So I just kind of, they're good for the list. I like the list. And I enjoyed for a while um, putting books on the shelves as I was reading them because I read and reviewed 200 books in my genre as I was writing. And so when I was, it was good for cataloging books, but then it just came a point where lately I kind of, I went off of Twitter too, in part because um, it was a super fun place, like in 2013, 14, 15, like I was having a blast. It was my favorite platform, especially when it was only 140 characters, because I love the challenge of being able to communicate in just 140 characters. It was fun. It was a great place to meet people. A lot of the people in my professional life that I know personally now were from Twitter interactions. But eventually I just found like, I started to feel guilty, like, oh, shoot, it's Friday and I haven't gone on Twitter since Monday or the last time. And, and I just kind of know myself when I start to kind of forget to go there or I just haven't been there lately, that I'm just starting to fade away from that place and looking at other shiny objects. And I think that Goodreads was just one of those things. Twitter, I'm still, I still have my account open. I can't remember the last time I was there. It's been maybe a year. I guess I was there with the, in November when the second book came out, but then I just, now I hardly even think about it. And I wonder, should I just close down my account? Because I do get paranoid. What if somebody sent me a tweet and they're like, why isn't she responding? Well, but they should be able to- you have your notifications the set up. That's how you avoid that. I don't you even look at those anymore. It's weird. It's like like a relationship that has ended or something. I don't know. Like we broke up Twitter. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's fun. And I, I think I'd like to go back there, but I don't, I can't explain again why maybe I should learn how to have better responses to things. I just naturally just don't go there lately. I've been doing a lot of Instagram and I've had a blast on Facebook. And when I was on Twitter, I was, would have told you, I don't really like Facebook. Like, I don't know what it is with me, but I just kind of go with what feels natural because life is short. 
And I just no, go that where makes I'm, sense. Yeah. Where I just, where it just feels natural, where I enjoy myself. You know, the other day when Facebook and Instagram went completely like off the air for like globally for like five hours, what did you guys, if you had to fill in the blank, this was a post that was on Instagram. When you learned that they went off the air, I felt blank fill in the answer. Like, what did you feel that day when they were, I didn't they, know. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was hysterical because when somebody said, Hey, they went down. I said, um, uh, you know, the, the, I, I literally went, they've been hacked because, you know, and then right after that was the, the post about the, um, you know, one point half the users on Facebook and Instagram, all of their personal information is up for sale. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. And they literally had to shut it down because it was still bleeding and they couldn't stop the bleed, which is not just one sh thing. So they coordinated a global shutdown to try to, to have the breach and the breach is astronomical and they're not really talking about that as much, but if you change your password on Facebook and Instagram, if yeah. you have it and make it very hard to break into because there are people and it's entirely possible your account information is owned. And that's yeah. literally half the users of Facebook and Instagram, their yeah. information, 1.5 billion users information was on the dark web now. So what's going to come in the coming months are people are going to have, they're going to have their profiles hacked and there's going to be posts that were created that were not by them. And it's going to become a, really crazy situation. Well, it's yeah, not I mean, just Facebook. It has your personal information. I know. Yeah. yeah it's way more very than that, scary. but it's, that is, you know, you've, you've had a very interesting journey writing wise. Mm -hmm. And before we get to the end, cause we're coming close to the end of the podcast. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it's oh. that yes. Round one, but <laughs> what advice you kind of gave some advice to writers earlier, but what would be the advice you give to writers? Um, just in general, I, I would say that the act of writing for at least for me, and I can't speak for everybody else, but I would encourage other people to consider this. The act of writing fills my soul, fills my spirit. I would write if I didn't have an audience. I would write if I didn't have a reader. I would write if it led to nothing. I would write if it wasn't a book or whatever. There's a lot of people that want to be published, but they don't want to write. They don't want to do the work. I'm the opposite. I'm fine sitting somewhere, at, you know, in a chair, just writing. I enjoy playing with words. I enjoy sliding words around. I can live a whole, you know, month inside of one paragraph. And understanding that that's what fills my soul is very healthy for me. There's a lot of things about the business and the industry that can be kind of soul crushing and, and it's difficult and it's hard. And so like there's the ego and then there's like the world and there's so much more that comes with the business of writing. And so for me, I, I would say to everybody, here's my advice. Understand that they're two very separate things. Separate them for yourself. You got to go into the world and you got to do your business stuff and whatever, get the job done. But also always protect and remember that some of the best the best part of it all is in the actual writing um and so i just kind of have i have two worlds i have my private writing life and what it brings to me in my life and then i have my um then the business world you know when i was writing this book i was doing it in the middle of the night the first book my kids would go mm -hmm. to bed at 10 o'clock and i would write until four in the morning because there's no disruptions there was no cell phone i mean nobody's calling me nobody was emailing the dogs weren't barking kids were asleep there was it was quiet and when i wrote that book the very first book that came out 
I had one goal. I wanted to reach one person who had had a bad day and I wanted to make them laugh. I wanted to lift their spirits. So if they had a bad day and they were feeling like they're a hot mess or that they just screwed up or that they're going to disappoint, like they're letting their kids down or they just screwed up, they screwed something else up because, you know, it's just because it's easy to the main character. She makes a lot of mistakes, but I just thought somebody out there has had a really bad day. And if they read these words and it lifts their spirit and it makes them laugh and it makes them feel good, then I just felt karmically that I've done a good thing to make somebody feel good. Ironic that there were so many people that responded differently to it. It's like, you know, I didn't kill a puppy. I didn't stab a puppy. I was really just trying to make people laugh. That was my, that was my intention. Um, I didn't kill anybody. It's not, there's no blood, there's no gore. There's nothing in the book that's going to upset anybody. My goal was to lift one person possibly out of a bad day and to let them laugh and say, come sit with Holly and I for a while. If you've had a bad day, um, you know, let just see her journey and, and laugh a little bit. So that was my goal. So I, I think that's happened. No, I know it's happened because I get emails from people and they're, and they tell me that they've really been touched by the book and the book has uh, some pretty, pretty intense super fans. And so it's been really great when it's reached its appropriate person. When like every book has its market, every book has its reader. Um, and so I feel good. That's back to the soul thing, right? What, right. What fills your soul? Remember that the business is separate from the, the writing. Um, and write for the person that you most want to touch. Don't worry about the audience or the market or the publishing or the bookshelf or whatever, or the path to publishing or which shelf and how much it sells and everything else. That is separate. Just write for yourself. If you're going to write for one other person, I think for me, that was a journey for happiness. And that's just kind of my, my, my uh, true north. Like that's where I set my compass. Very cool. Okay. So how do people find you? Um, I was starting my website, julievalerie.com. Awesome. Very cool. It's been so much fun to have you on the show and your stories. It's very cool. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking With Author. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been C.R. Rice. And our amazing guest has been Julie Valerie, author, author of Holly Banks, Full of Angst. Check it out wherever you can. And we will see you guys next time.